welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Today's guest on the Keenan Yoga podcast is Adam Hustler. Adam, I would describe indeed, as I have been described, as a down-to-earth kind of bloke. On the other hand, he's also very committed and knowledgeable as a yoga teacher, with a universal appeal that has brought him a huge following and popularity. I can understand why. He's both incredibly articulate, he obtained a degree in law from a prestigious British university, as well as having a great sense of humour. Indeed, it's not easy to pigeon Adam in one box. In fact, he's lived many lives, from law school to spending a great deal of time in the boxing ring, from running ultramarathons to spending his professional working life working in the non-profit sector. His His perspective is well-rounded and really unique. I would say yoga asana is his tool, but he brings to his teaching so much more. He has a fascination and an uncanny ability for consistently asking the question, why? This has been a kind of consistent thread through his upbringing in Birmingham to where he is today. A very practical student and teacher of yoga that has seen him through many ups and downs, but always with a cheeky and often irreverential comment in hand. Welcome, Adam, to the Keenan Yoga Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I think you just want to give us a little background in, in why and how you got into yoga, what your journey with it was. Yeah, this was never the plan. Like being a full-time yeah. yoga teacher was never the career plan. Like I, I started off as a lawyer. That was well, not a lawyer, but I was at Durham University studying law, and that was the intention yeah, yeah. to end up being a lawyer. Uh, and while I was at uni, I played around with yoga a little bit. Like here and there, I think I first got introduced to it as part of a fashion. I was in a fashion show and they had a yoga class to help us warm up. Uh, And I think that was one of my first yoga experiences. And then occasionally as part of student welfare week, they do yoga classes. So there was a little play around with it. Uh, and then fast forward a little bit. I moved back to Birmingham after university. Where was that? When, just giving a trajectory of your... Oh, uh, I'm really bad at it. So this is maybe <laughs> 30, 14 years ago. So I'm 33 right. now or 32. Okay, right, no. Or 32. I always forget. I'm really bad at it. <laughs> I occasionally have to actually ask my wife how old I am. So I'm either yeah. 32 or 33. And I, 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 in this moment, I don't know. Uh, so you, so in my twenties, you get worse as you get older. <laughs> yeah, in, in my twenties, I guess, or twenty one. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing yoga a little bit. Sure. Got back to Birmingham, and I was doing a lot of boxing. I was working in the charity sector then. That's what I decided my career was going to be at that point, like working in right. non-profit. So I had a decent job mm. in the charity sector, young people related. Uh, and I decided I was doing lots of boxing pretty much every night. Still playing around right. with bit the bits of yoga that I'd learned at university. And then I thought, you know, I'd like to meet more people in this city. Although I'm from Birmingham, right. uh, I didn't really know anyone anymore. The boxing right. people are very mm-hmm. different to me. And I thought, what can I do to help meet people you know, who I could build a social group with, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. a girlf- maybe even a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and my two options at the time were either do some dance classes 
or or actually pay for membership at a yoga studio. And I didn't have a lot of money at the time. And, you know, the price of yoga, even in Birmingham then, was quite intimidating. But right. I, I, I did the intro offer. And right. it was like, okay, that, like Yoga Haven or something? Yeah, like no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was Yoga Haven. Yeah, I know, I know. I know. Which yeah. is kind of hot yoga. The, the founder was Bikram trained, but it was very, very different to Bikram. They right. had a few, a few vinyasa flow classes, a few more static sequence classes. Uh, and then I, I pretty much went every day, sometimes twice a day. Uh, you stopped boxing or, you know, no, you know, no, 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 not at all. It. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and what, what, boxer. yeah. And what I noticed yeah. was beyond meeting people and actually it was a complete fail for meeting people because in that, you kind of go in and out and that's it. But my boxing actually got a lot, lot better. Like my recovery was faster and this sound, uh, this sounds bad, but my hooks, became more powerful because yeah. I was more aware of my whole body and I could engage everything. Yeah, right. And uh, yeah. w- what I found though more than anything was psychological state changed. Uh, I used, you know, I was going through a bit of a hard time mentally in a few ways and you know, I get split it with mm. an X, etc. And on the way to yoga, I used to read a lot of uh, like stoic literature like by Marcus Aurelius and Seneca. Mm. And he used to take that yeah. into the studio with me and for maybe the half an hour before class, I'd just be there in the hot room reading. Uh, yeah, it's and very it, popular now that stoic stuff yeah. very popular now it wasn't Especially at the time guys yeah. yeah it wasn't at yeah. the time uh but then it, i soon said i saw the relationship between that and buddhism at that era uh and i got really into that and the the best bit for me though was actually leaving the yoga studio and can i'd walk, often try and walk as far home as i could and then get on a train but like walk a good distance yeah. and just mm. having this time to myself and i just it was very hard to describe. I just felt to some degree at peace or more open mentally and physically. And I really love that feeling. Uh, and so that was really consistent for me for a few years of being in Birmingham. Mm, mm. No desire to be a teacher. Moved to London. Carried on with Yoga Haven in London, plus a few more studios. And I kind of practiced other forms of yoga. So kind of some Bikram yoga, some Vinyasa flow. Uh, and eventually I thought, you know what? I'll do a training. Not because I want to be a teacher, but I couldn't, I've been doing yoga now for an, quite a number of years. I would actually just like to increase my knowledge. I want to mm. learn more. As someone that is from an academic background, I really want to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. Not, I just don't right. want to re- replicate shapes. So I wanted to understand more. I did a training. Uh, and I guess at the time, you know, I, I still didn't want to be a teacher. But I was running these buildings uh, in the nonprofit sector, these kind of wonderful youth hubs slash event spaces. So during my training, I was actually teaching classes for friends uh, and friends of friends. Mm. Like some Saturdays, I would teach eight classes back to back. No one paying any money, but just practicing. Just, but just me wanting right. to practice the art of teaching. So by the time I qualified, I taught probably <laughs> a hell of a lot of classes for free. And the the studio owner invited me to teach at two classes of the week. And I think what she identified in me was, you know, let's say beyond my ability or whatever that might be, that I was a straight male with a sports background. And that's not a reason to get a job, of course, but in the yoga industry at the time, in in the yoga, yeah, Yeah. in the yoga industry at the time in London, you know, most men teaching yoga that I'd encountered were either like very old hippies or kind of ex- like flamboyant dancers 
without the kind of dance or dramatic backgrounds. And I guess I was slightly You're getting into the dangerous territory here. <laughs> but, but... Yeah, but, you know, you're right. I mean, being being a normal bloke, yeah, I saw I saw that... Um, I wasn't that normal as a bloke, but, um, you know, I saw that kind of a number of years ago. Someone came up to me and said, I'm doing yoga for builders or something like that. Yeah. You, know? Uh, you know, he was a builder, in fact, you know, and yeah. it's super popular. Super, and and so, yeah. And I just think, I just think in, in any kind of industry, if you want to call it that, you need a bit of everything. You need every kind of teacher and every kind of person to appeal to yeah. everyone. And right. th- there were very few people, teachers of the same niche as me. And I, I wasn't trying to kind of uh, exaggerate it. I wasn't. I wasn't doing yoga for men classes. It's just that some people resonated more with a male teacher who had a sports background. Yeah. No. I think you're very approachable with it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, what was your practice like then? I mean, what were you actually? I mean, you, you know, you talked about the training and everything. I mean, I don't. Let's see some of the stuff you've done, but I don't know what your background in the actual. I mean, I suppose you practice on your own, right? Or you did just go to classes, or how does so that? What, what does my practice look look like now? No, no, more the question that would probably come later. Yeah. The question more like is like what is your background, your teaching practice? Okay. I mean, Can the, Jason the, Crandell, have, lineage have, wise. Okay, yeah. So yeah, so yeah. so at this point, you know, when I first started teaching, I had this sixty hour job managing these two sites and I was teaching yeah. two classes that then beca- then I was starting to run some of my own. And before I knew it, I had this full time job teaching sixteen classes a week, which was insane. Yeah. So no social life. That is a point where I dropped boxing, not because I wanted to right. stop boxing, but just sheer lack of time. Uh, and that's when I stopped doing weights, etc. I just, I just couldn't fit it in. Uh, and then I actually quit the charity job because for me, what I thought was I could have more effect on the world, making people in power, like the lawyers, the doctors, the employers more mindful than I can working with some of these young people one-to-one. That's what I really felt at the time. I guess I became a bit disenchanted with the charity sector. And I thought maybe I can have more effect on the world mm. if I go down this path. And yeah. then so I, I quit that job. And with intention still not of being a full-time per se yoga teacher, but I used some of my kind of operation skills for a studio that I taught for. And for a few months, just helped them get their stuff together. At which point, I'd, by the time that those few months were over, I had 22 classes, 25 classes a week. And then it became my job. So I've gone through many styles of teaching. I guess initially I was teaching set sequences. So a few kind of yeah. vinyasa based, a few, I guess, almost Bikram inspired set sequences as well. Mm. But because I guess I've got this academic background, I really wanted to understand stuff and learn why. So doing a lot of research in my own right, in the body and trying to incorporate modern understanding of the body with yoga tradition, if you want to call it that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I then I did trainings with some kind of other hot teachers uh, with kind of the Budokan style of yoga, which is all very flamboyant. And actually, you know, I got for a while, I was very into the dramatic stuff for about a, for about 2016. I was into dramatic stuff. <laughs> uh, and then, then I found a teacher that really resonated with me. And I think it's important I guess if you've committed to one lineage, it's it's less relevant. But if you're in vinyasa where you can go in multiple directions, I always think it's worth doing a second significant training once you've taught a few thousand classes and you understand Mm. what style Mm. of teaching resonates with you. And I find Jason Crandall, who's like, actually, I resonate with him. I like what he's saying. Mm. I like how he's instructing. I like how it's kind of logical, sane and reasonable stuff that's looking to Mm. make a yoga practice 
or yoga asana practice sustainable and long-term. So I did training with him. And since then, uh, I've done many things with him. I was supposed to teach a 200-hour training with him actually last year, but of course, COVID. Mm. Uh, and then I, from a meditation background, Michael Stone was my main teacher. Uh, yeah. He obviously passed away two, yeah. three years ago now. Uh, so that's kind of my lineage. And then I, I do lots of other trainings and other research on the side as well myself. You obviously stopped boxing and weights, so you must kind of, you want to assume like yoga better than that. I mean, what's the difference and, and why, why do yoga? So for me, I, I always describe yoga, let's say to taxi drivers, when I'm in an Uber and they say, you know, what, what's your yoga? Someone said, oh, I should try yeah, yoga. You yeah. are kind of very approachable and normal. And, so, I mean, yeah, like, and, and yeah. I, I call it an antidote. I say, for me, a yoga practice is an antidote for life. That could be at its most basic level. And it could be an antidote to the physical. Like if you spent your whole life in a taxi hunched over, or for me, if I spent a lot of my life either on a desk or then boxing and then slamming into a bag, it was a wonderful physical antidote. But I also think it's a wonderful mental antidote because in boxing and even in weights, you're trying to get a PB or you're trying to win. And in yoga, well, I guess I did try and win for a few years, but, <laughs> but after a while, you I stopped trying to win. Yeah. And it was just became more of a practice of self-inquiry. I still believe that actually, from a physical perspective, yoga isn't enough. Even if you do all the different extreme styles of yoga, even if you do like hours of Ashtanga a week combined with hours of yin a week, et cetera, I don't think yoga is enough. I think we should all be doing some other, other modalities with our body that complement. Uh, okay. I still do weights. I still right. would box if I had the chance. And my intention is that I've got now 150 kilogram of weights in my kind of garden shed ready to build an actual gym for myself uh the only reason i stopped was simply time and lack of money or at least i had to work so much of the yoga teacher and travel so much i didn't have the time to fit in training or pay for a gym membership uh prior to the wedding when i had a little bit more time and a little bit more money which was two years ago i actually started to train really significantly again and got in got in very good shape, which then would have continued and only stopped when lockdown kicked in. And suddenly I got to go into hustling mode, like doing everything I can to make money, <laughs> money again. Well, let me phrase the question another way. What, what's significant about yoga for you? Why is it reasonable? When you say Jason Kandel talks very reasonably and very sensibly about yoga, what does that mean? Because yeah. oh, you are, you know. So, yeah. for, so I mean. for me, at its core, it's a practice of self-inquiry. Mm. And I'm not a fan of dogma. Uh, I'm not a fan of kind of a b b belief systems per se. I like everything to have a reason to it. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying you that means it can't be spiritual. I, I'm not saying I'm an atheist. If anything, I'm an agnostic. But I like I like my asana practice to be informed by understanding of the body, not by shapes that other people have created that I want to replicate. I don't want to look at someone with an, a completely different body type to me, you know, like a teenage Indian boy and say, actually this shape might be good for my body as well. Or for you know, most of my teachers, so we teach not students are Western female body types. So I like to apply and I call myself an alignment focused teacher, which makes mm. me sound mm. like I have the exact alignment for every pose. And I don't, but for me, it's, I have alignment principles that should be applied to unique bodies. Uh, and that's what I think when I say sane and reasonable yoga from a physical perspective. Yeah, no, no. yeah. and that's a sane and reasonable answer. 
Um, but I mean, what about this inquiry then? Where does that come in? I mean, do you need to do yoga to have a self inquiry? Can't you get an unboxing? Can't you get that? Uh, 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 no, that <laughs> and this is yeah. what so sometimes annoys me. And people are like, oh, my, my, my meditation practice today, my yoga practice today was my run, my yoga practice was my boxing. I really, I really don't believe that. I, for me, I think you need a formal practice of either meditation or asana. Uh, I, I don't see we can get to the point where we say everything is our yoga. I think maybe you could do that when you practice yoga and meditation deeply for 50 years <laughs> and then yoga is really a fundamental part of you. Yeah, but I think right. I, I mean, so, but the reason I, I practice yoga and I is, as I said, is belief that it is a practice of self-inquiry. What do I mean by that? I think it's a chance to reconnect or connect with something deeper than ourselves. And for me, the most tangible part of the universe that we have access to is our physical body. And that's my belief. Mm. I, the, the, the body yeah. is part of the universe. And mm -hmm. in, in a yoga asset, I'm not, as I said, I'm not trying to win. I'm not trying to stretch. I'm just exploring every movement my body can take and the sensations that arise when I do certain movements or when I engage or open in certain areas. So mm. it's very much mm. I become the watcher of myself and a watcher of sensation. And right. of course, I think doing that in the physical body is relatively accessible for most people in the West. It, uh, meditation is increasing in popularity, yeah. of course, but moving the body in an exercise-y format isn't something that is unusual to us. Uh, whereas meditating or kirtan <laughs> is something like, whoa, like 10 years ago, if, if you had told someone you meditate for 30 minutes a day, that I would, I would have imagined, if you had told me that while I was in sixth form, I'd have thought, okay, that's some kind of hippie who is kind of chanting and bowing <laughs> and, yeah, you know, and lying on the floor. I, I would have no idea what that is, but now right, people right. are aware of it. So the, the situation has changed a little bit. But yeah, that's what I believe. I believe... Maybe. So meditation just took longer to, to reach Birmingham, maybe. Yeah, and and, and I think that yeah. is completely understandable. Well, yeah. What about this alignment, though? I mean, what, so so where does alignment fit into inquiry? Because okay. in some respects, can't alignment be like a kind of, you know, just a, another kind of Western form of achievement, perfectionism or self-criticism? I, I think while we're using our physical body as a tool for self-inquiry, as a vehicle for self-inquiry, right. we yeah. may as well do it in a way that is safe unsustainable okay we may as well do it in a way that we, we know is going to look after us and maybe have some benefit as well just like if we want to tour the world and go on a beautiful sightseeing tour of the rocky mountains by car taking it all in we would be stupid if we didn't maintain the car at some point on that journey we wouldn't just drive and take in the view we would actually look after the vehicle that we are traveling in and so for me that's what i believe we're doing in, a, in an asana class yes we're practicing self-inquiry but combining this you know, movements and interest in sensation with some understanding of the body. You know, and what I feel like when I teach a class, I talk a lot. I talk a lot about, you know, really? micro, yeah. Surprises me. so when I'm here, yeah, I, <laughs> I like micro movements, little adjustments one could take, you know, not expecting every student to hear or even understand what I'm saying, but I speak a lot. And my belief is that, yeah, the students that is newer, they won't, they, won't, they won't listen, they'll just move. But the student that is more practiced, they will explore. I'm giving them 
directions to explore much like a meditation teacher will give you directions to move your meditation they won't sit you in silence they will give you little pointers that might take you in a certain direction so my belief is that these little tiny cues will help people explore different areas of their body and actually i think depending on the person it can actually anchor you in the moment very well and i've had that feedback before people saying that class went so fast you know, we've done a full 90 minute practice, but it went really fast because of the instructions I'm giving really anchor people to the sensation in that present moment. And they do a little bit less time traveling to the future or the past while they're practicing. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying my style of yoga is everything that people should do. Like I actually advocate for my students to have three or four teachers that offer something different. So yeah, if they want a more spiritual practice, maybe go to a Jeeva Mukti class. You know, if they want a teacher that lets them flow a little bit more without such detailed instruction, you know, maybe go to a rocket class. You know, if they want something where they can really monitor changes in their body, I think Ashtanga is wonderful for that in terms of a set sequence. You can see how are you progressing. Because for me, mm -hmm. every class is completely different that I teach. And yeah. I think it's really yeah. important that students of yoga nowadays don't stick to one teacher and actually don't even stick to one style but have a few that complement each other and don't expect one teacher to offer them everything yeah well uh, i mean do you how do you um annex philosophy or yoga philosophy into this does that, <laughs> does that play a part so for me i don't do it explicitly necessarily so i won't generally quote the sutras i might do that on a retreat uh, but I think my style of incorporating philosophy in is at the beginning and the end, the questions I ask people. So for instance, this week I was talking about balance in a really broad sense and how balance uh, or yoga practice is fundamentally a practice of balance. You know, to, uh, how that could be as mundane as balancing on one foot, or you could physically extend it to how we balance flexibility and strength. But then also how we found the middle path in a very Buddhist sense, how we don't go from the extreme of hedonism and being ecstatic to the extreme of being sad and kind of depressed and how we can try and find the middle and how a long-term yoga practice doesn't stop the ups and downs, but it makes you more aware of when you've gone up and down and allows you to more readily come back to the center. So is that explicit yoga philosophy? No. Is it related to it? Very much yes. And I think that's how I incorporate it into my teaching. Yeah, yeah. What do you see yourself as a like as a guide, as a teacher? What would you say your role is exactly then? Because I mean, essentially, they're practicing on their own, right? That you know, yeah, it's their practice, and right, I assume you might be inspiring them to try and do some self practice. Surely, indeed. Right. right. So for me, it's it, it's about facilitating learning. That's so. If, well, two things, I guess, facilitating an experience in the moment, guiding them mm, so they can yeah. turn off. And what I often say to students that start freestyling is like, I've planned this. I've got this sequence. I'm exp I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Like, I've got you covered. You don't need to think about anything. I'm the boss. You can let go for once. So part of, part they, of it is that. Do they do it? Or do yeah. they carry on? Yeah, no, they, or they, or they <laughs> get out. <laughs> but but uh, that's a side point I don't think you need to be a teacher that's good for everyone I'm sure lots of people don't like me but I think the beauty of teaching in cities or teaching in the modern world now is you don't need to appeal to everyone you find your audience and the ones that really resonate with you that you can actually offer something to you don't need to be everything to everyone but yeah I, I explicitly see myself as a teacher I don't like the word instructor or guru it, for me I'm a teacher who is either leading a practice if that's what someone needs just to be led or facilitating learning 
so that people can then actually incorporate the learning that I try and teach either into their life or into the other classes they do. So if I've taught someone about what their supraspinatus is and how to not impinge it, then they can do that in a class that is more spiritual. So they can go to a class by another teacher that that is completely themed about the sutras. And there's nothing wrong with that. A teacher that doesn't give any anatomical instruction just says, you know, worry to reverse, you know, with some spirituality in there and a karma talk at the beginning, that, that a student could incorporate what I've taught them about the body in that class or vice versa. They will come to my class and maybe at the start meditate on something someone else has taught them. Hmm. How do, how would they construct from your classes? How would they construct a self practice without a sequence? Would they just? I mean, it always kind of puzzles me with the vinyasa. Like, where would you start? So and that and yes. Yeah, so so vinyasa is non-prescriptive. Of course, every teacher yeah. teaches in different. Areas. Some teachers play Beyonce and get you dancing up and down and flowing really fast. Every every teacher is different. So I. I guess we live in a world now where there are so many things available. Like when I went to my first Ashtanga class, I got the sequence. I got given the sequence, uh, the bit of paper that the teacher had taken the photos and I I got given the primary series. And I think for me uh, in the modern world, I offer lots online, both for free and paid. And I've always had that really for quite a long time. Uh, And I, and I think as well, a lot of, a lot of students of Vinyasa yoga, do go to class quite regularly and maybe less reliant on self-practice that they go to class, they're a member of a studio and do go to class multiple times Mm. a week to different teachers. And what I say sometimes to people, because I think realistically, most people in a city like London, people that are householders that have bills to pay, often don't necessarily have time for like a self-practice. So what I often say to people is just sometimes just do the things that feel juicy in your body. Just get your body moving. Sometimes do the things that you just like. Sometimes do the things that your body really needs. And don't feel that a self-practice has to be a 90-minute vinyasa sequence in your living room. It could just be doing a few cat-cows, a little bit of seated meditation, some salutations, a warrior two. As long as you're even on both sides and don't do anything too dramatic too soon, you're probably going to be safe. But there is, of course, so much content out there now online. We live in the world that yeah, with me, I think I've got about 20 different online options where people could find <laughs> find me. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's probably true. Well, so, I mean, you're kind of the anathema of Ashtanga, really. I mean, you know, it's generally an Ashtanga podcast, you know, so far. And you're completely non-dogmatic, fairly non-prescriptive and mm. definitely non-traditional. Um, is there any purpose for tradition? What do you reckon? And that, so what is your, that's what I question is, what is tradition? Right. So, like, Ashtanga, the Ashtanga primary series, how old is that? Well, I suppose, yeah, when we call, when we qualify tradition, we're looking at the prescriptive formula of movement, right? Yeah. And, and it's just, I always, I just get troubled by that term sometimes. What is tradition? Is something that great granddad started? Is that tradition? And right. do we, do we separate yoga tradition in the philosophical sense to yoga asana tradition? And you, you think, where when let's say the primary series were created what were the influencing factors there you know i could be speaking out of turn but you know richard rosen wrote a wonderful book on it the kind of the origins of yoga i love richard rosen he's the most wonderful man if anyone ever gets a chance to study with him i do do you know do you know richard at all i I asked him for a podcast never heard anything back yeah i think he's he's at a point i don't know if you 
No, that he's. I don't know. Him. No, no, no. Uh, I just read he's, some stuff of his. Yeah. Yeah, at the moment in time, he wouldn't be comfortable doing any public speaking per se. Uh, he's he's got things going on medically, and I don't think a podcast no. would be uh, would be the formula for him. Yeah. He's, okay. he, he he he's a, well any any kind of like long format would be suitable. But yeah. he's a yeah, he's right. a wonderful wonderful man. And in terms of origins of yoga, uh, in that book, you know, he suggested, and a few other people suggested it. Like some of the origins of Ashtanga were kind of Indian Indian wrestling. Uh, kind of Indian traditional wrestling and some of the movements there. I could be wrong. Uh, he did more and uh, more. Um, a Yengar was a uh, Impuno and oh, is that? yeah, Ashtanga was. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. I suppose we qualified to this. They would say it's doing something prescripted, other prescripted. than you just decide you fancy doing. Do you know what I mean? Um, I say okay. And there's there, and there's dangers in that as well. But I think there's also, you know, and now I don't want to speak out of turn. The dangers in the vinyasa. Um, aspects because you can just kind of get into kind of re-endorsing yourself or re, you know like and Indeed. The, the, you know like doing what you fancy and, and you know and, and doing what you're good at um, oh you got yeah there is some <laughs> other, yeah right well you know we all do this and and there is some kind of something else with the yoga in just suiting yourself to something for once mm. in one's life right so Rather, I, you know and I completely again. agree I, mm. I do I do and I think there is no perfect strategy uh, and I teach a sequencing training, actually. And in part of that, I talk about the multiple sequencing strategies. And I say to all these vinyasa, vinyasa teachers, I say, how many of you teach a set sequence? None of them. How many of you would like to teach a set sequence? None of them. And I say to them, actually, what were, until recently, the two most popular styles of yoga in the world? Probably Ashtanga and Bikram, both set sequences. Ashtanga is still Bikram, less so now. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But like two very very popular, and I said clearly there is a role for that. Why do people like set sequences? You know, it allows them to observe how their body is changing because they do the same pose. It gives them in a very uncertain world. It gives certainty, and it gives something safe when you have a set sequence and you know what to expect. You know, if you go to a vinyasa class, you've got no idea what that teacher is going to teach. Even if it's a teacher you're familiar with, you've got no idea what they might teach. So I do believe there is real great value in set sequences and something prescriptive. Uh, but equally, I think if you always do the same thing, that doesn't give your body and mind opportunity to progress. And I think, you know, you can follow the route of least resistance. You can go into autopilot. There is a risk if you're not doing it in a safe way that is or in a way that is suitable for your body that you do get long-term injuries. Like I know so many people that have done Chaturanga consistently for a long time and really damaged yeah, their shoulder sure. or yeah. people that have done Lotus every day for a long time and knee replacements. So my view, my view is really trying to, I guess, you know, much like, I think there's arguments for both sides, isn't there? Like there really is. I mean, I I did an I did an inter, um, I did a uh, what, what do you call it a um uh, to call it an interview an audition I suppose would have to call it really for Equinox. <laughs> okay, uh, I know you taught that, and I didn't get in because I just went and I just taught the Ashtanga Sun Citations. Um, <laughs> you know, but I had to do the rest of the class right, so I had to do everyone's, and they were all <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know why I went. I think I kind of went for fun really. But, um, and they were and they were teaching vinyasa. I'd never, to be quite honest, I'd never done a vinyasa class. I've always done Ashtanga for 25 years, right? And uh, I was amazed, you know, there were all kinds of things. And I didn't yeah. know what was happening next. It seemed to me a recipe for disaster, if I'm quite honest. Because you, know, you fling yourself around, you don't know what's going to come next, right? Like, mm -hmm. okay, probably you get into a groove at a certain point. But equally, it could be said that 
not knowing what you're doing is, is equally as dangerous as knowing what you're doing. Well, I'm just playing devil's advocate because I could easily critique the uh, Astanga uh, system. And you indeed, know. and we could circle around it. We could say, hey, well, is any yeah. group fitness class safe? Is any class <laughs> that involves... I group... what I liked about the, the Ashtanga, and, and, and I'm not sure where you find this the same, at, at least the people practiced and they practiced every morning. You know, yeah, and, say, and I, I, I can't say that with Vinyasa teachers. I don't no, think they do. All no, of, most no, no, no. Mm. I would, I would say, in in Ashtanga, it, it, you know, people that are dedicated students of Ashtanga tend to be more dedicated students. <laughs> they tend, they they tend to do it because more. they've got. I think because they've got that routine, that 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 repetitiveness. You know, and, because if but, I had to wake up every morning and think, well, what the hell am I going to do? That but would then, be, the, know, like, then one would question perhaps what is what's making them come what is drawing them to ashtanga in the first place are they the kind of people that crave routine uh that, that crave system and, and 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 maybe addict i'm not saying they are but addictive personalities <laughs> that want to do the same thing daily and it's yeah. there is no right answer and that is why my approach yeah, yeah, is yeah. always to advocate doing a few different styles that seem to work for you and i've got some students that do my vinyasa classes that are ashtanga do ashtanga every day and they come to my classes really? just mm. to spice it up. I've got there's one there's one lady based in Scotland that's a long term Ashtanga, and actually I've got over the years I've had quite a few that are dedicated Mysore Ashtanga practitioners that come to my Vinyasa classes partly to mix it up, and partly oh, I'll the names. I'll listen. Uh, to the but, um, so yeah, no, that's, that's, I, I like I like there's something fresh in your approach, and I like it. But I, you know, I'm also getting reticent, I suppose, on, on the you know slightly kind of wary of the Vinyasa model. But um, can I can I say in terms of wariness, yeah. I'm wary as well because you know in Ashtanga, whether you like the system or not, to be a proper accredited Ashtanga teacher, you have to go through fairly respected schools. Yeah, that's correct, isn't it? You, yeah, well, to, to, yeah, I mean the traditional yeah. training is you go to Mysore. I mean, yeah, there's no yeah. other Ashtanga training apart from going to Mysore a whole bunch of times. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, so at least that you know. Whereas in almost every other type of yoga. Actually, to some degree, you know, people call it Ashtanga Vinyasa. Like anyone kind of can, I've seen many people call themselves Ashtanga teachers that aren't really Ashtanga teachers. You know, they've, they've done a, a 10 hour, they've done a 10 hour, they've done a 10 hour module in Ashtanga yoga. And, and that is the issue in general with yoga teaching, but it's the same with anything like with a tree, yeah. sur with, with a tree surgeon, right. anyone can cut down, anyone can call themselves a tree surgeon or a nutritionist. Uh, <laughs> there's no... I think, you know, the only careers where it's really firm, you know, are d being a doctor, be, uh, being an architect, where there are very clear bodies, where you know that person has pretty much certainly had to go through that body. You know, in, in anything else in life, people can blag it, unfortunately. And that's why I always say to people, if you ever do a training, work out where has, what is the lineage of that teacher? Don't just jump on a training because it's the cheapest or do a training because it's in the nicest location in the quickest time. Do a training where you can tell who the teacher is, where they've taught, what their lineage is. And that, that for me is a key. And actually don't, don't do too many trainings in one go and don't do kind of a 10-hour yin or a 10-hour ashtanga training on top of your 200 hour and call yourself a yin teacher or mm, ashtanga teacher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the second thing maybe you could help me out with here is how does doing different sequences, you know, and, and and quite kind of, I suppose they're quite demonstrative sequences. There's a lot. There's, there's flows. There's a slight dancey element to to the vinyasa generally, right? You know, your downward log, dog. 
you and down with dog for a minute and the leg goes up in the air and then the, you know there's some kind of but then but then what you often see is a dancer yeah. attracted to vinyasa who lifts their leg up True. externally rotates a leg turns a pelvis <laughs> collapses True. a shoulder blade yeah. scapulas come together and wild thing what well, wild thing which i never i, I never knew the name of till recently which and I, I, I hate that i hate I, I, I like the pose if done safely but the problem is, is no it? one did it safely yeah yeah um but anyway it seems to me that Patanjali is talking, if we're looking at yoga in, in a Patanjalian way, because there's different ways of talking mm. about yoga, right? it's not just yoga in, in a kind of darshana or yoga or samkhya and Patanjali, that he's looking for restraints, right? The quality is, do, at least if we're looking at even what he says about asanas, divamsukam asanam, yoga is a steady, comfortable position. And uh, you know, that's all he says about asana. And then he kind of basically talks about mind control and restraint. And, and my concern with the, the vinyasa is it kind of goes against that. Is it, you know, it's, it's kind of quite externally and kind of extrovertly doing almost the opposite, it seems. Uh, see, I'm not sure about externally. Uh, I, you know, a lot of Ashtanga yoga, uh, well, let's say any style of yoga, forget Ashtanga, but a, a, lots of style of yoga involves impressive looking poses where there is a demand, not a demand, but a desire to go deeper. You know, in, 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 I know many Ashtangis that are working towards poses and craving. Yes, but only, 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 only in the Mysore class. Okay. So it's not done. So it's kind of like, an. you see, I mean, and, and I'm happy to, you know, like take it on the chin here, you know, I'm just exploring this territory. You've got this, you know, quite kind of front led from the front kind of flowing system, you know, where you're in a class situation and. It seems to me, I imagine it might be hard to go inwards. I mean, you say the contrary, right? That you can mm. have these kind of very present moments. Um, I think yeah. it, ve it very much depends on the teacher. Uh, I think it very much depends on the teacher and the style. Uh, right. Like, I'm not defending by any means all vinyasa yoga. You know, there were many teachers, there were some teachers that their teaching is just them doing crazy poses at the front and replicate replicate the shape I make. Uh, right. In, in every style of teaching, you know, I've taught many conferences around the world. I've seen ego, I've seen grasping, I've, I've seen the desire to make impressive shapes in every style of yoga, in every type of student. Uh, I've seen so much grasping, is so much kind of showing off in every style of yoga. I think everyone, ev everyone starts to some degree with the desire to achieve. I did. A desire to do the core poses, a desire to become more something more than we are now. But I think through a long-term sustained practice, that shifts. And I think we need to, whatever helps people get into the yoga mat in the first place is wonderful. Whether that be someone doing yoga in a Lululemon shop window or someone being attracted to it because they want to expand their legging collection or because they want to meet a potential girlfriend, boyfriend perhaps. Anything that or the, or the music that's playing, yeah, no. so I think so stuff draws people in, and you get to that stage. So stage one is you're drawn in for whatever reason that might be, even if it, you know, going through a, a crisis in your life, you get drawn into yoga. Then when you start any new thing, naturally, often people want to be to some degree good at it and achieve, uh, get deeper. Or they want objective success. You know, our society yeah, is conditioned yeah. to want that's objective true. success, yeah. and yeah. I think once someone has had a long term practice. And they kind of understand what's going on. They understand what Warrior 2 is and what should be engaging, perhaps. I think, you know, the first five, six years is just learning how to explore the body and what, what the body is capable of in a, in a world where we are fundamentally disconnected to our bodies. And I think once we get that connection over time, 
we can then start to look deeper. One, one good example of that, I feel, is Warrior 2. I think for the first year, I didn't understand Warrior 2. For the next five years of my practice, I thought I was really good at Warrior 2 and I was really deep in it and it looked really good. And then in the following 10 years, Warrior 2 has got harder. Not because I've got older or weaker, but because I'm exploring the nuances of the pose and exploring the detail of my current experience in that pose. And that's what I want to advocate in all my students. So their asana practice should get harder all the time. And there'll be hopefully less desire to do the flamboyant and more desire to explore what perhaps would once be considered the mundane and really get deep into that. Well, why? Why? Because I, I think there is so much more to be explored in our, in our daily life that we kind of ignore. And I think to, in, a, in a yoga context, warrior two, as opposed to an example, offers so much. And I think as human beings, we're all too quick to jump onto the next thing. It's kind of hedonistic adaptation. Uh, oh, I'm in the uh, pose. I want the next pose. I want the next pose. I want this pose. I, I've done this now. I want to do something that is more impressive, that makes me grander. And yeah, it, but, uh, but, much, but much like to hmm. extrapolate that into our daily life within relationships. We don't nurture relationships. And I've, had that, I've witnessed that so many times. People join a relationship. They have the honeymoon stage in the relationship and they don't continue to nurture it. They don't look at the deeper things. They take their partner for granted or their job for granted. Uh, and I think it's really important in, in life, in yoga asana, to spend time with the thing you're currently doing and explore it in more detail and really witness it. But can you do I mean, I suppose I'll go back to that again. Can you do it in a, in a formatted class led from the front? Because, I, I, and I suppose I, that's why I keep circling around. Is like, yeah. The danger is that, that, you know, do you as a vinyasa practitioner, I'm sure you don't need to go to a class every day now. And I'm totally with you. Once you learn the body, it doesn't matter what style you're doing and you can do it, you know, on your own. And, you know, you really, you're just free to explore the body and, 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 you know, it's something else. But up until that point, are they needing to use the leg class format? And at what point can they develop their own practice out of that? Or are they always feeling kind of, um, you know, kind of stuck to you as a teacher? Oh, right. So, okay. So a few questions here. Firstly, I guess, would I love people, everyone to have a self-practice every morning that didn't involve me? Absolutely. Would I love people to not need asana at all and just to be able to meditate? Because ultimately, asana probably isn't the best method of self-inquiry. That's not the best vehicle. Deep meditation is far better, in my opinion, than an asana practice. But do can most people do that? No. So my view is that in the world, we need to offer teaching suitable for not all levels, but all types of person. And I think an ashtanga practice suits a percentage of the population. I think a dance-based Beyonce-filled vinyasa practice is a first step for significant for a proportion of the population at that point in their life. And I think as teachers, we don't need to be teaching everyone and we don't need to try and lift all our students onto a pedestal. I think we need to meet students where they're at. And that's not the job of any one teacher to meet every student where they're at. I think as teachers, we can have our niche and we can facilitate. Would I love it if my students, if students said, you know what, I don't, I'm, I don't come to your vinyasa classes anymore. I just have a self-practice. Wonderful. Commercially, not great for me, but, <laughs> but wonderful for them. And that is to a degree what I'd prefer. If, if one of my students says, you know, I meditate every morning now, I have an asana practice. Sometimes it's still nice to come to your workshops to still learn. That Perfect. But that is not the reality of the world that everyone is living in. So I think as teachers, we can find our audience and help them and meet them where they're at at that point in their life.
fair enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we can keep going down here because I mean, yeah. essentially, I think that I totally agree. I was, I think I was, I have to say, I reckon I was one of the first people to do a demo in the Lulu Lemon Shop window in Vancouver. Um, mm. You know, like in uh, maybe 2007 or something like that, 2006. And so I'm will, you know, I'm willing and able to to bring anyone into yoga, you know, under any auspices, you know. But I think at a certain point, you know, if, if it doesn't gravitate to doing a personal daily practice without the instruction of someone at the front leading you, then um, I'm not sure you, you you will ever plumb those depths that it's intended for, you know. Um, but maybe, and I'm, it's 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 a it's, method it's, for mind control. You know? And I don't think there is any yeah. any any good answer. Like you know, one could say that actually. If you do the same thing every day, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Yeah. Do you do you go on? (laughs) Do do you completely go on to autopilot? And if you just do the same thing in the same way every day, do you actually do you do you actually shut off and do you go into autopilot? And and that happens to everyone at all points in their life. Uh, I've had it in things that I'm good at. Rather than go to a flow state, I go to a robot state (laughs) and just completely turn off. And I, I I love the idea that. Uh, this this idea of flow state is when your level of expertise meets a level of challenge kind of in the middle uh or so, you know, so I, I, someone described it much better than i am now but i think there always needs to be a challenge at some point and that that challenge one one way of offering challenge is through novelty and needing to learn and pay attention so i think finding that cross where ability meets challenge at that fine point is uh is, the, or or you could say maybe the challenge is not is is uh restraining your need for novelty and change. Oh, no, you know. Well, there's many there's many there's many challenges, or maybe yeah, we, yeah. we we could say the challenge the challenges actually thinking outside the box and not doing the same thing and being yeah. You can say <laughs> I just well. did the same thing yeah. that everyone else all does. I mean, there's two sides. Really and and one one there. final and, extension to what I said previous is I think it's just so important that we acknowledge that people are different physically their bodies are different and it's impossible for something to be good for everyone you know and if we're talking about having a set sequence and that that is the ultimate desire for everyone then the ashtanga sequence is enough we probably need to make about 40 different set sequences suitable for different body types uh different levels of ability different ethnicities and the body type that goes with that uh, but i think as you said at the start if you're looking for physical conditioning then really i mean you know like there's better things to do with your time than yoga no but no yeah no, my, my point was just more if we are saying that people should do a daily yoga practice each day and it should be a set sequence we there should be multiple set sequences that we can we can give people because an ashtanga sequence as wonderful as it is won't be good for every single body type and every single person at this i think it depends how it's taught i think and it's taught by the book if it's taught idealistically then yes but if it, you know you can you can apply the common sense to it and make it roughly fit you know and certain no one's doing any harm with their body you know? um but yeah does it get boring for certain people that it's not accessible to possibly but um what um what 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 are your what are you working on now? What are your challenges in, in, in yoga in life? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go for yoga first. So, of course, yoga the immediate, the immediate one is COVID and the shift. Uh, last year, well, I guess twenty nineteen now almost, isn't it? Uh, I was literally teaching every weekend in other countries, workshops, trainings, etc. Uh, that was one of my main sources of income. That's obviously stopped. Uh, luckily enough. Over many years, I've built a profile on social media. Uh, 
which has allowed me to convert you know, many people to my classes and workshops online. Lucky that, you know, teaching tri yoga, you know, that's the only place I teach in terms of studio in London. Equinox as well, but that's more of a gym. That's kind of a separate thing. But tri yoga, you know, I still teach a lot of classes of tri yoga, and it seems that the audience there do like my classes and resonate with me. You know, I have, an, I have a niche there. So lucky to a degree. But the challenge is just making sure what I'm doing is sustainable, uh, make sure I can still generate some revenue. And of course, yoga isn't, a, you know, I didn't go into a yoga career wanting to make money, but I do want to be able to pay a mortgage <laughs> you know, uh, mm. and, and pay the bill and pay the bills, et cetera. And so that is the most immediate challenge. But luckily, we're well placed. My wife and I do the same thing. She's more of a just sound journey, sound healing. She's very talented at what she does. I'm obviously mainly yoga. We're kind of creating a yoga studio outside. Uh, and I guess we're just adapting, adapting to the current climate, and hopefully we can uh, we can make it make it work. Mm. And within your personal practice, what are you working on? What does your personal practice look like these days? So it shifted, shifted a huge amount. You know, it's, uh, at one point in time, you know, my asana practice was all the you know handstand, handstands for half an hour each day, and a like, and trying to do that. For me, the asana practice now is really gentle, actually. Uh, really really gentle so actually lots of static poses spending time in them not to the extent they're yin but just what we might call mundane poses just being in it and witnessing it and exploring actually at what point do i want to give up on what we do at what point do i want to jump ship at what point do i say that's enough and to some degree i think exploring pain threshold is exaggerating but exploring limits of of mind much like when i used to run marathons and ultras Mm. And I used to always love that exploration of when I was running a hundred K what's stopping me from getting off the path. What's stopping me from just getting in a taxi? Why am I still going? And so in the absence of that, I'm, I'm exploring that a lot in my asana practice Like, what is keeping me in this pose? Why am I not just jumping out, et cetera. That's part of it. Um, mm. and, and physically as well, trying to get into weights, et cetera, again. Uh, and then meditation wise, I've always had ups and downs in meditation. I did a long-term training with Michael Stone, who's a wonderful uh, meditation teacher. And then for me, that was often the first thing to go where, when life got busy. And mm, life was actually quite yeah. busy for me. You know, live, common. Yeah. Because I would be teaching, you know, bef my weeks before all of this started, teaching probably between 17 and 20 classes a week in every corner of London, every day plus most weekends teaching in other countries. So sometimes literally teach and try yoga Chelsea, go to Heathrow airport, fly to Croatia, teach twice in Croatia or three times in one day, then come back, land Monday night at 11.30 PM, no, Sunday night at 11.30, then start teaching again at seven o'clock on a Monday. Mm. Uh, med meditation has passed. So I'm trying to actually... Are you able to kind of squeeze in your practice? I mean, were you practicing at that time? Or yes, that time? but, but yeah, like... Yeah but bits, it would be like bits of practice. Right. So every time I had empty space in a studio, it would fit in. Uh, the meditation would be like on a train, nothing that was in any way ideal at all. Trying to slide in classes because I was in studios all the time, like going to the class that followed mine or before, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before mine. But what I've noticed over the years, more and more so, is just the desire to do the extravagant poses has really subsided. You know, when I first started doing social media, it was me topless wearing Marla beads with my leg behind my head. And that was you know, pretty, <laughs> pretty standard. That, that is kind of what I did. Uh, but now I guess my, my desire is... <laughs> 
it's really just w- looking after my body, looking after my body in the long term, working out, you know, w- where am I excess? Like I could put my leg behind my head so easily. And actually I really thought, is, is, that, is that a good thing? Do I want to be this loose in this area? Is that, just, yeah, it, yeah. Is that not going to lead me into problems in the future? Because I think excessive flexibility in the long term is probably actually far worse than excessive tightness. I don't want either, but I think excessive mm. flexibility is probably a really bad thing. You know, excessively loose ligaments that are plastic in nature, where the whole point of them is to hold stuff together. Do I mm. want to make them worse mm. at doing their job? Uh, and yeah, so I'm kind of I'm actively trying to future-proof myself uh, to some degree and exploring a lot of active range of motion. It's all well and good if I can put my leg behind my head with my hand or with a teacher putting my leg behind my head, but how far can I actually remove my leg? What control do I have over my flexibility and the range of motion? That's another part of my kind of exploration right now, kind of active range of motion. Mm. So what's physically challenging for you? What in yoga, what kind of postures do you struggle with, do you find? So the one thing that I lose quite quickly is flexibility Mm. in hamstrings. Uh, yeah. full Hanumanasana in its deepest form has never been available to me uh, I, I believe it could be excuse but having done it for so long 100k didn't help it well no well yeah but having yeah. done but, but uh, there, you know there was a point where I could put my leg behind me and it's different different range different movement mm. but mm. there comes a point where I think we are all limited by our skeleton but we're not we're, the only issue is we can't know that until we practice the pose for like 10 years if 10 years have gone by and we're still not there and we're starting to feel kind of bone-on-bone contact, of course, everyone's femur head is a different shape and everyone's acetabulum is a different shape, which is why some people can put their leg behind their head easily but can't do splits so easily, partly because of you know, different shaped bones and different shaped joints. So that's always been tight. And then I broke my foot two years ago, uh, lost a ligament, like a motorbike fell on me, mm. basically. So right. a least frank ligament gone, basically, just completely ruptured, gone. Uh, and so I made an active effort to get much stronger in my legs. So lots of squats, lots of deadlifts, uh, not, you know, not just around the foot, but that whole chain. And so I've, by the very nature of it, I've got tight, I've purposely got tighter in my legs and more stable in my legs, which means that some of the things that I could just pop into aren't so available anymore. Uh, mm, I'm still very open in kind of like, in like Badakanasana, you know, that kind of open hip stuff. But things like Hanumanasana, uh, I mean, variations of Padagostasana, like aren't an- anywhere near as readily available to re- readily available to me anymore. Yeah. And finally, what's your aim in yoga? What would be your? What do you think? Or what do you think the aim of yoga is? So for me, I, I guess the aim of the aim of yoga, the way I would describe it, you know, beyond the method of self inquiry, is to find balance and calmness, and that's what I want in my life. Just I want to find the middle. I don't want the extremes. And I'm lucky enough that I feel to some degree, I mean, I'm going in that direction in that, you know, I, I chat to my wife about it. Both of us have practiced yoga for a long time. And I said to you, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching a lot of these big events now. You know, I'm on a stage in front of a hundred or thousand people and I don't get like excited. I'm like, oh, I'm you know, going to teach an event. Oh, I'm like a big superstar and vice versa. You know, I had a year, I had a year, three years ago, four years ago. And in the space of literally a month, motorbike broke foot, got into mm. kind of a street fight, attacked from behind, eye bust open. Uh, my dad passed away. I split up with my ex, uh, had to move house. My ex took the dog. 
all in the space of like a, like literally about a month. All of that happened, but it didn't get me too much. Obviously upset. I'm not saying I'm like suddenly not human, but it didn't pull me into the depth that it could have done. And I think that's mm. really where I've noticed the effects of yoga. I don't spend time in either of the extremes. I identify it, acknowledge it, feel it, but don't continue drinking the poison or drinking or snorting the cocaine. I, as in not, not the hypothetical cocaine. Or poison. Uh, I, 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 I arrive back into the middle and actually ironically, this is back where I started because this is a lot of the teaching of stoicism is finding yeah. the middle path. All right. So it comes to the end. Um, you usually ask, what's your biggest inspiration and give me a guilty pleasure. The biggest inspiration right now, as a current inspiration, is a guy called David Goggins. I don't know if you come across oh, him. Oh, right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the ultra. Uh, absolute nutter. Yeah. Has suffered a lot. Yeah. He's in absolutely insane. But just the way he explored his mind, like his practice of self-inquiry was doing like the uh, US, what's it called? Navy SEALs. Uh, how weak? Like five times. And running the length of whatever he's done. That's his practice of self-inquiry where every ultra marathon becomes a microcosm of life through the ups and downs and the like. So he's my current inspiration. Uh, and in terms of kind of my, my current uh, guilty pleasure, this is not, I, I can't believe I did this, but uh, through lockdown, you know, we have these weak moments. We, you know, we just, we're sick of it. It's two degrees in the same faces, same building. Yeah. And, and we're being self-employed. It's almost constant work, isn't it? And I just wanted to find something that helped me withdraw. That was nothing to do with yoga. Like I didn't want to play my kit, the harmonia. And I didn't want to escape by playing my hang drum uh, or kit. And yeah, I, I, oh, I've got a hang drum, you know, cliche, <laughs> cliche, like 2010 yeah. yoga. Uh, yeah. So I decided to buy a Nintendo Switch and bought po and bought Pokemon Go, not not Pokemon Go, Pokemon Sword. And for about a week, be between every class, that's all I did. I just had a week where I turned off and taught yoga and played Pokemon Sword. Uh, <laughs> so that's my latest guilty pleasure. That's not a bad I, idea. I'd have, have, have to get like a Nintendo that would have, you know, the really, one of the really old ones that had like Street Fighter or something on it, you know? Like, oh, you can so get that on it if, if you're ever tempted, like Street Fighter and Streets of Streets sure of Rage. It's probably like probably like yeah, it'd be like 1990 or something like that, you know. Well, they've they've actually so, remade yeah. Streets of Rage, and I, I bought that at the time. I haven't even opened that yet, but I did buy the yeah. remake. Of that's, a, that's a good. That's a, that's the first guilty pleasure. I have to say, I haven't finished my questions with you. I've just got one more then, because I'm sure you have some ideas on this. What about diet? What do you do for diet? People are so obsessed with uh, food eating, what they should eat. Okay. Uh, what, have you, what have you got on that? Quickly? So I've gone through so many ups and downs. Mm -hmm. I, and I was vegan for quite a long time. Oh, really? I was, okay. and I mm -hmm. suffered. I really suffered. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm. And I'm sure I didn't do the perfect vegan diet. Like, I'm sure I didn't probably... I, I, didn't, I was perfect vegan in that I was vegan, but I didn't necessarily eat most nutrition. <laughs> nutritious food i probably you know, i probably some dinners had some cauliflower and some tofu and that was my dinner uh right. so probably not the most well-rounded nutrition but either way i really felt like i never wanted to exercise you know i still practiced asana but i never wanted to lift weights for a few years I didn't want to do any boxing didn't want to run felt quite tired it was generally quite pale uh yeah that was good yeah good few years of veganism and then when I started training again with my PT, 
Uh, this is like pre-wedding. I thought, I want to get back into it, but I need a personal trainer because you know, I used to be quite strong. At one point, I was 105 kilograms and 5% body fat. I was in like good shape. But because I'd lost that, I wanted someone to hold my hand in the gym. And he was like, look, we need to, like, you, we need to get you eating something different. And I started eating eggs. And I started to have like four eggs a day. I'd start there with four eggs, an avocado, and some oats and blueberries. And I just immediately felt fantastic. Uh, so generally speaking, I would say, you know, I'm pescatarian. I eat fish mm. a few times a week, typically salmon, right. but I eat probably not a few, probably twice a week or once a week. I mm. eat fish, uh, generally don't touch red meat unless someone's cooked. If someone's cooked it for me, fine. In a sense, it's kind of conscious eating. Like the Dalai Lama, he eats meat if someone's cooked it for him. Like I will eat food if it's already dead and someone's cooked it and it's going to go to waste, but I wouldn't, mm. I would never turn down food that's been prepared. Uh, I do not like waste at all. And even to the degree that if I'm at a party and I see food going to waste, I will eat whatever it is, whether it be meat, I will eat it. I, <laughs> I, I really hate to see any food wasted. That's one of my pet yeah. hates. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so I say generally pescatarian, eat fish a few times a week, uh, lots of eggs feature in terms of the only time I've eaten really red meat recently. Uh, my wife had a sudden operation a few weeks ago and we had steak just to get her iron up and just to look after her. And we had to take mm. a few times and I, 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 I cook in it. And I thought, well, I'll have, I'll have some myself, but, uh, beyond that, that's it. It's just a uh, pescatarian. And you, what do you mean? Um, vegetarian. So yeah. I, I eat some eggs sometimes. Yeah. About it. I never use, I mean, same probably. I used to be vegan. Mm. Um, but, you know, I found as a lot of people do, you have to be really careful. Probably there are people that suits, you know, I was, but not if you're doing a serious physical background you know yes. like if you've got you know you've got a serious physical practice going on then i think mm. that you know you struggle with, probably with a vegan diet there's, there's going to be you know exceptions but it's not easy to maintain i think and i really i really wonder about genetics as well you know like if if you get someone who lives has lived in in the arctic circle and has mainly eaten like fatty meat their whole life and that's about it and you put them on a vegan diet there are so thousands of years of genetics that have set their body up to eat a certain kind of food. Mm. And much mm. like if you go to Sri Lanka, you know, for generations they've eaten a relatively healthy, naturally vegan diet. So I'm sure someone from Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka is probably better equipped than someone with a Northern European heritage yeah. in terms yeah. of how they can survive on certain food mm. types. Mm. And I don't know what my background is. I've got no idea. Like part gypsy, I think. I've got... <laughs> Irish gypsy kind of vibe. Uh, I, I say that we have traced some of the family back. There is gypsy in the family. Uh, so I'm not saying that just like, oh, maybe I'm a little bit. That is there. Uh, uh, um, yeah. Okay, so what, <laughs> what's your final message? We, I, I usually end on the guilty inspiration, um, guilty or guilty and inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> guilty inspiration. Give me, um, but we, we went on diet. Um, give us a final uh, sign-off. What, what's your final message? Like for anyone practicing yoga, mm. what I would really advocate is find a style, not a style, but find teachers that educate you, that to some degree inspire you and work out different styles that might complement each other. And I think don't limit your body to just doing one thing, whether I'm saying do multiple styles of yoga or yeah. do yoga and climb, climb rock walls and lift weights. I think our body needs all modalities. And I would also encourage people to let their practice evolve over time. Very nice. Yeah, reasonable. Thank you, Adam.
for the it's been a pleasure. time and the opportunity to talk to you and um, I hope you enjoy it too. Thanks yeah, no, thanks yeah. so much. Thank you.